Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. Good plan. Good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Bounced on its point. Wow. The fakes, the gods are with the goals. Hello, Tess Armstrong here from the ABC. Well, the Art of Sanctum are enjoying their very own mid-season by round. But there's still an episode here for you. Lucy and Emma caught up with Bree Brock from the Brisbane Lions. Enjoy. Brianna Brock is the CEO of the Brisbane Lions Women's and she can boast two grand final berths in the two years of the competition. We are so keen to know your secrets. Brianna Brock, welcome to the Outer Sanctum. Oh, thanks very much for having me. I'm so we've been so intrigued by you. We see the camaraderie between you and the players when we're watching um, the Brisbane Lions games. We know we hear tell of how amazing you are. I was hoping that you could take us back to your early work, perhaps when you established the Zilmere Eagles. Uh, well, that is going back a fair while. Well, um, I suppose yeah, as uh, my my journey is coming from a playing background, so. At the ripe old age of 25 was the first time I got an opportunity to play AFL and went down with my two sisters uh, to a, our first footy club, which was the Redcliffe Tigers, and we, we played two seasons there and then decided to start another team, a new team at the Zilmere Eagles. So that was sort of in 2007 and um, was primarily just from... Uh, they'd gotten new change rooms. They had a really good facility there at the time, um, and they didn't have a women's team. It was a bit closer into the city than Redcliffe was sort of quite out, um, sort of on the on the beach side of Brisbane. So um, we just sort of started there. We had 16 players the first year, which was uh, tough going, but you got to play every minute, so you got got a lot better. <laughs> there was no sitting on the bench because there was no such thing as that. And then um, from there, that, that grew to close to 100 registered players over the next sort of five years or five to seven years. And God, what is it now? 20, 2018. Mm. So it's, it's now, you know, as what happens with a lot of women's clubs up here in Queensland, they, there's an ebb and flow. They come and go. So Zilmi is the oldest women's club in Brisbane at the moment. So that's, you know, it's a short history, but we've had clubs since, you know, early 2000s, but they've started and then folded. And yeah, so that's sort of the start of the Zilmere Eagles. So Brianna, we know that Queensland is a growth area for football. And, you know, as you're explaining there from grassroots to to where um, we have an AFLW team based in Brisbane now, we see that growth. What do you reckon are the biggest drivers 
Yeah, it's a good question because, I mean, look, the climate up here definitely lends us, it lends itself to girls playing football or playing sport, any kind of sport all year round. You saw some of those uh, horrific scenes from the weekend at Williamstown <laughs> and, and some of that, you know, we just don't get that kind of weather up here in winter, you know, so it was sort of, I think, 22 degrees and sun shining um, on the weekend just gone. So. It's still an attractive sport to play for girls who are used to being at the beach or playing touch or netball or we, we kind of don't have that barrier of the weather, people going, oh, it's just too cold. So that's one thing. But also because a lot of girls grow up playing touch footy, there's not that many girls. I mean, there's girls certainly playing rugby league, but I wouldn't say there's a like none of the girls in our AFLW team have grown up playing rugby league and playing competitions and then come over to AFLW. But because we're watching tackling on TV all the time, or they've probably done it in high school or primary school, they have a good understanding of how to tackle well. So that sort of doesn't seem to daunt them about coming over and playing AFL. And just the freedom of the sport, you know, mm. being as opposed to netball, being restricted into a zone, only one position, only kind of one job in a way that freedom of AFL, you know, just let them run anywhere and go anywhere. And most often if you ask a group of young girls, oh, what did, what did you like most about today or what was the best fun, you know, they love the physicality of it and the tackling part of it. So it's a unique part of the game that, that is attracting girls to it. It is a really unique game and on the field, I guess, we see that women get to really exercise strength and muscle in ways that we often can't in other games. But off the field, AFLW is making huge societal changes as well. What role do you see the AFLW serving off the field? Uh, I mean, the scope's endless. It's not It's not just about... So I think people kind of don't see the, the value in that pure physical confidence that football mm. gives to girls. And there's also an element of trust building. I mean, there's not another game where you're allowed to shepherd mm-hmm. and block mm-hmm. and protect for somebody. And there's not a lot of opportunities for girls, you know, to build those sorts of relationships mm. that are based on trust. So I have to trust my teammates, you know, to look after me. And that's a wonderful thing for women to have in a society where, you know, social media and magazines and all those sorts of things are trying to not tear women down. But this is a great little uh, arena for us to build women up in. So there's that kind of aspect at the grassroots level that are helping girls bring just that first, that physical self-confidence that they have that can translate into greater self-confidence and emotional self-confidence and you know, feel like they can go out in the world and do anything because they can kind of have this great physical sense of power that they're able to do that. So I think that's one part of it. But then the second part of it is that I've got a five-year-old son who is now growing up and he's, you know, been brainwashed with women's footy for forever and has seen his mum play and aunts play and all these people play. But now there's a footy card and a footy record and and it's a real thing. And so... Mm. You know, the change around men's mentality, around women in sport, but then also women in AFL, you know, is going to be um, fantastic going forward. Mm. As CEO, I imagine that you have to do a lot of the dotting of I's and crossing of T's. And when we look at 2019, we know that there are two new teams coming in and there's some uncertainty about how the competition's going to run and how it's going to be fixtured. There's been some talk about conferencing. Do you have any thoughts about um, conferencing as, as a way forward? Yeah, it's not my favourite model, I've got to be honest. <laughs> um, just purely from the fact that we haven't seen any kind of modelling at all. We haven't been given a proposed fixture or anything like that. Mm. And, uh, and I suppose 
when we're talking about expanding your competition, you know, the natural assumption is that that means there's more games and that yep. means we get to play more teams <laughs> mm-hmm. and, you know, the competition is developing in length as well. Um, but, you know, there are financial challenges around that and the, it is a big country that we live in and there's lots of flying around and, and those sorts of things. So I do understand the financial constraint around it, but I think it it would be an interesting or an odd situation if we got to a grand final where two teams may have never played each other before. <laughs> I think that would be, just for our sport, that doesn't come naturally to AFL. You know, everybody wants to pit it, you know, at least play each other once and then go into finals, I think would be, and whether that's two finals games, like a grand final and a semi-final or something like that, I, I don't know. It's We've been fortunate to get into both grand finals, so we're sort of we're, we're happy with that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. we've finished top two, but it does make for a very different style of competition because it's so cutthroat. You can't afford to drop games, mm. you can't afford to lose. So that and because the quarters are so short, you can't afford to even lose quarters in a way. So you're naturally going to defend. So there's all different, you know. So then there's not going to be as much scoring because as soon as you get ahead you're going to most likely look to defend that lead. So, yeah, it's different in that type of construct. But, yeah, I think conferences would would have to be explained pretty well. And I'm not sure how the players would take to it either. Just going further down the path of what you were just saying, and then if if there's less scoring, then there's less opportunity for ad breaks, which means that there's less opportunity for sponsorship. And we keep hearing that that's going to take us back to the beginning of the argument that without sponsorship that we can't, you know, it's not a financially viable um, model to take it beyond eight weeks. Do you struggle to get sponsors to um, attach to your team? Well, the sort of first line that you asked me was in year three, there's a bit of conjecture around what the fixture is going to look like. That's been every year. Mm -hmm. So year one, we didn't know what it would look like. Year two, we didn't know what what Mm. it would look like. So when you're talking about going out and selling something to a sponsor, we're sort of just selling the dream and kind of selling (laughs) fresh air because we haven't got anything concrete to give to them. So, yes, it is hard. Our, Our market's hard. Queensland market and sporting market's quite hard. We've got two very successful netball teams up here as well mm. with the Firebirds and the Sunshine Coast Lightning. And you've also got, you know, the Reds, the Broncos, the Raw and both the Cricket Heat as mm. well. Yeah, so it's a crowded market. So we've, I wouldn't say we've struggled, but it's it's not easy as well. We're very lucky to have the sponsors that we do have on board are really emotionally engaged with what we're doing and they're big football fans but also big female football fans so we're we're sort of lucky to have that really genuine interest and support and that'll just keep going and 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 the fact that we've been quite successful has certainly helped Mm. I, i would sort of shudder to imagine if we'd finished last for two years how we'd be going in that front so it's pretty critical for us to keep being successful because that success helps us keep being financial yeah Brianna we know that there's a lot of power in um, seeing people like you and people like Kathy Reid who are very strong successful women who are leading at your club and we know that Craig Stasevich is a he's on the woke side of the male coach and coaches <laughs> but what pathways have you got for aspiring female coaches at Brisbane? Yeah, it's an interesting one because our sort of next best crop of coaches coming through our system are actually in our team. <laughs> so um, we haven't kind of, we, we've, you know, we've, we're fortunate to have our own Brisbane Lions Academy, which is in line with our men's academy. So we've got several women coming through that 
coaching pathway. We've got you know Leah Kasler, who's our fullback, is currently an assistant coach with the under 18 state team, as well as a lady called Heidi Thompson. So they're going through you know our talent pathway as the players are. They're going through that in the coaching pathway. Emma Zilke and Sam Virgo have also been assistant coaches with the under-18 state team and Sam Virgo's assistant coaching with us currently in our winter series program. And they're all doing their level two coaching courses and stuff like that. But it, it is difficult because at the moment, we're trying to teach our group how to be elite footballers and how to be elite AFL players. And so that's sort of why we've gone down the path of having Dan Merritt and Brent Staker, who are sort of freshly out of the system, that whilst they're coaches, they're probably more acting as mentors in a way as well. Like they are coaching them, you know, you know, technical things of their positions and those sorts of things. But also, look, mate, after a game, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. Mm. You, you know, here, borrow my ice machine because that one time when I had that injury, this is what I had to do. So because we, we haven't got that inherent knowledge yet from our own playing group or other, you know, women in the community, we haven't experienced this yet. So we think once that generation goes through and, you know, those girls that I mentioned are sort of in their early 30s, they'll be able to come through with that, you know, very lived experience to be able to then pass that on to that next generation. So it is tricky to balance experience but also knowledge because you've got a lot of teachers who are coming through who, you know, could coach anything. Mm. Um, it's not to say that they couldn't, they can't coach AFL. It's just at this level and in the time frame that we have, we have 16 weeks of prepare well, eight weeks to prepare them and then eight weeks to play mm. um you've really got to kind of smash them with knowledge and you know um almost um not overwhelm them but we've got to make the best of that very short period of time that we have so what we're looking at doing with the current playing group that we have is we're just sort of launching for next year a, a program that we're calling inspire and it's sort of like a a coach development program for the girls that are currently in the team. So they'll go out and work either in our academy with our under-17 rep program, under-14 rep program that we have here in the state, as well as in schools to develop leadership, mentoring, and just giving them an experience that when they get to a position where they think they're ready, they've had a lot of experience, not just with grassroots level, but at elite level as well, so that they could fit into a an AFLW system if that's what they wanted. That sounds pretty good, actually, and you've explained it really well, even though you're clearly up against it, the time the time factor is so challenging. Just a query, is Sam Virgo back running and how's she going? How's she re- yeah, is her rehab yeah. all done? Uh, she's not all done. We, we take a pretty cautious approach because we want to make sure that she's super, and that's with any of the girls. Well, we've only, only had her with her, her ACL, but she's training in the winter series she won't play but she's yeah she was just like a kid in the candy store coming here for the first training session so I mean it's been really important to keep her as close to the group as we can as you you know she's acted as our team manager for last year so she's sort of in the thick of it and in the trenches and, and didn't miss out on too much um but she's yeah she's right on track and, and going really well and she's very diligent so she's not going to cut any corners that's for sure. We've been so impressed with the Brisbane Lions every time we've had anything to do with you guys. I don't know if you know this but Sabrina is our best friend now so <laughs> she she's always hanging around coming into the outer sector and we love her so much. Best of luck for season three. You've had two runs at it. Maybe it's third time's the charm and we'll keep our fingers crossed for you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. 
This year, Essendon Women's Network are celebrating 20 years of their Football Woman of the Year Award. You can go to their website for details on how you can nominate your Football Woman of the Year, but we caught up with some of the past winners to find out what the award meant for them and find out a little bit more about their football lives. Debbie Lee, I was lucky to win the award back in 2009. It was recognising the work that I had done within the Victorian Women's Football League and Women's Football around being the president of the league, starting the exhibition series between Melbourne and Western Bulldogs and my playing career as well, I'd imagine, of which I've played more than 300 games. So I think it just acknowledged my service, I guess, to, to women's football in Victoria. Yeah, look, I think it was at a time where, you know, you sort of look back now on women's football where it is now to where it was even back then, it wasn't highly recognised. So I was one of the early recipients of around player and administrator in the, in, in the league. So I think it was a great opportunity to use it as a platform to highlight the great work that others and the growth of the sport. You know, it was a, it was a really, you know, it was, I was very surprised because I was up against some great candidates and, um, you know, I really cherished that moment. You know, I'd been on this journey, I guess, to, uh, with promoting women's football for a, for a long time. You know, it's really pleasing to see where it is now. I mean, we needed the AFL machine behind it, but I was fortunate enough to, you know, work at the Melbourne Football Club, which provided a platform for us to actually develop the early concept of the national competition through the exhibition series. I was pretty confident that once people saw these women play football, that would take off. It's just a matter of time and and, and engaging those people. Yeah, it was was a great opportunity and and really good that, you know, Essendon Network group also have the foresight to actually acknowledge women in the sport because they they developed the concept at a time where I don't think there was any acknowledgement around women's football and women working in football so it's a really great testament to them. Congratulations to the 20th anniversary for the Essendon Women's Network. It's been a great group that acknowledges and supports women in football and is really progressive in its thought process so well done. My name is Jane Cooper and uh, I won the Football Woman of the Year Award in 2015. And uh, I believe the reason uh, I won the award was because of my work as AFL National Manager of Female Football Development and all my involvement along the way in uh, football generally in both the male and female space, but probably mainly around... um, driving the the female strategy nationally to get more women and girls involved in football in all roles and in all levels. Oh, gosh. Um, When when I won the award, like, I was a bit blown away because, to be honest, I was just thinking I was doing my day jobs, what I was paid to do. I was really quite humbled. And when I looked back at the previous women that had won the award too, it was extremely humbling. Really, I've... I was quite humbled because, as I said, it was my day job and I was just part of a team. So to my way of thinking, there were so many paid personnel at state-based organisations and thousands of volunteers across the whole of the nation who had been instrumental in providing opportunities for women and girls in the code. I just felt, well, perhaps I was the face of that team. But really, there was a whole lot of people that had been standing shoulder to shoulder with me for a very long time who I I was just privileged to be the voice and the face of that team. Yeah, winning the award was quite incredible, really, because it actually gave me 
a chance to publicly thank a lot of the key people who had helped along the way. And a lot of those were men because the, the message was often better conveyed by a male who had the validity and, and the credibility in the, in the code. Us women found it a little bit more difficult because quite often the message was, well, you didn't play football, so actually what would you know about it? Even though we'd been passionate fans of it, in my case, since birth. But then in winning the award, it actually opened lots of other doors because perhaps some people that were just sitting on the sidelines who weren't quite convinced yet actually thought, oh, wow, well, if the industry believes that she's a good person and a, a good leader, etc., then maybe we should pay a little bit more attention. So that was great. Having been the first one to win the award and actually be invited to be in the grand final parade on grand final day, there was a whole bunch of people in the audience because it was an Eagles versus Hawthorne game. And there was a whole lot of West Australians who all of a sudden went, wow, there's a West Australian sitting in this parade winning an award and she just happens to be a woman. So in my own state, which isn't as good at promoting it in the media, actually made a significant difference there because I had people like Tim Gossage ringing me up to um, have an interview and he'd actually been quite disrespectful over the years and he actually apologised on air during the interview off the back of me winning the award that, yes, he hadn't paid it the attention that it deserved and I thought that was pretty incredible. It, it actually did drive some interest in WA media that wasn't there previously and that was really helpful to helping participation and and recognising other people within the code who'd been doing significant things around female football. So it had a much far-reaching uh, positive effect than than me as, a, as an individual. It was um, quite incredible, really. You know, it was things like that that I just didn't expect were going to be some of the positive outcomes from winning the award. And to be honest, I didn't even... I was grateful that I'd been nominated. Thank you, Troy Kirkham from the WA <laughs> Football Commission for that. But then to actually win it. When you hear the CVs of all the other women, and let's face it, in my year, Beck Goddard was a finalist. And thank goodness she went on to win it last year off the back of being the premiership coach for, you know, AFLW Crows. There's some extremely impressive people that have been nominated and become finalists over the years. I just didn't think that I, I would win it. Um, yeah, I was a bit dumbfounded, really. You, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but it's still a very long tunnel because I was just having discussions a few weeks ago with folk. There's some parts of Australia that have zero female participation in terms of playing the game simply because the people who are charged with making it happen haven't been held accountable for setting up anything, you know, whether it be a female Auskick group within a centre or junior football or anything. They just have big fat zeros next to female participation. That's a concern and needs to be addressed. And then, of course, there's still so much work to be done in terms of making sure that our industry becomes more diverse in its decision makers. Because whilst, again, there's been some really positive steps and you have to be buoyed by the number of directors on AFL club boards who are female, there's still such a long way to go because in senior executive roles, well, what did we have an AFL club CEO for six months? That's it. I can't even see anybody being nurtured in the wings or being encouraged to put their hand up 
to, you know, be in roles that are not the norm for females in the code. There, there seems to be some support around leadership courses and things, but that's not what we actually need. Females actually need the opportunity. So we actually need the male decision makers to say, you know what, I think you've got the potential to be a CEO. I'm going to mentor you and let you shadow me and I'm going to make sure that you become a CEO. And that kind of opportunity has not been provided to females yet. It's things like that, that as soon as we change the diversity of the decision makers in our code, then a lot of other opportunities will arise from that, I believe. I just would like to congratulate the Essendon Women's Network on their vision around having these awards and for making it through to 20 years, your persistence has paid off and it really is an award that is to be revered. So congratulations, Essendon. My name's Daisy Pearce and I won the Essendon Women's Network Woman of the Year Award back in 2016 for my contribution as a player and promoting the women's game, helping put it on the map and get it to the point where we now have a fully-fledged women's competition. It meant a lot, I think, prior to me winning it. Some of my real idols and people that have had a huge impact on me personally and on the game in Michelle Cowan and Peter Searle, Jan Cooper, I knew they'd, they'd all won it prior to me winning it. So following their footsteps was pretty special given that they'd been great role models for me and, yeah, real inspiration. And I'd been so thankful. I always found it funny being acknowledged for my contribution because I always thought that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to, to do that had it not been for, for those women and a whole bunch of other women that have paved the way. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to think of how far it's come in that time and I guess it feels like as a game and a sport we've achieved a lot in that time but I think there was a lot of work done in the lead up to 2016 and that first competition but yeah I just feel proud every time there's a new story about AFL women's or you hear from some of the, the wonderful ambassadors in the game speaking about it and promoting it and to be able to turn on the television and see live women's sport let alone live women's AFL footy is pretty special so yeah I think that's what I reflect on when I think about the award is just all the people that have won it and contributed to getting us to that point and I guess being the first player recognised was pretty cool as well because it was the sign that the the roots were starting to spread a bit further in terms of how women can contribute to the game. We've done so for a long time as great administrators and coaches like Peter and Michelle and now we're, we're starting to have an impact as players. A big congratulations to the Essendon Women's Network for 20 years of the Football Woman of the Year Award. We're very grateful for all the work you do at elevating us women and our contribution to the game. The reigning champions. <laughs> My name is Beck Goddard. I won Football Woman of the Year, which is an award by the Essendon Women's Network, in 2017. It was a great honour to win the award my achievements working in football up till 2017. Uh, winning the award was pretty special because it, uh, some amazing women have won the award in the past and it's an award that sort of stood uh, the test of time. It, it's really the only award that acknowledges some amazing women that have contributed to football in the industry sometimes and mostly actually just because they love the sport as a volunteer. A lot of unpaid uh, work and hours and love goes into what some of the women in footy do. And it's really an award that recognises uh, those kinds of contributions that are un unsung heroes. Yeah, look, I, I suppose that there is an opportunity for women now to achieve 
in football uh, and that opportunity wasn't always there. That being said, I think the industry is such that women still have to bang down doors in certain areas of football to get the opportunity that they deserve and would probably get if, if they were a man. But yes, yeah, certainly a lot has changed. Yeah, congratulations to the Essendon Women's Network on holding such a special event and awarding something that really means so much to women in the industry. Keep going and I look forward to attending many events of yours in the future. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.